Forward, a Fiserv podcast, features conversations with the people moving financial services and commerce forward. Here's your host, Jason Hendricks with Fintech Forge. It's not often you get to go directly to the source and ask one of the leaders transforming the delivery of banking services what, and maybe more importantly, how they think about the evolving world. On this episode of Fiserv Forward, Byron Valier, Chief Digital and Data Officer at Fiserv, and I talk about the future. It isn't stable, but it does involve stable coins, as the flywheel of digitization and data accelerates the pace of change. Byron, I think the place to start is you have a very interesting title. And Chief Digital Officer comes out, you know, quite a bit now that's a little bit more in vogue in financial services. But rarely do you see a Chief Digital and Data Officer. What's the nuance there? It's a a great question and one that I get uh, quite a bit. Um, It really goes back to last year when we were doing some enterprise strategy work in two different domains. One was around enterprise fraud and how do we improve our ability to predict that someone is actually who they say they are as well as are they trustworthy. And the other piece of work we were doing was around digital and consumers and SMBs in the world of financial services. And as we were looking at those two pieces of strategy, a lot of the execution intersected across different parts of Fiserv. And that was the genesis of trying to create a role at the executive role at the management committee level that's really focused on, are we doing everything we can across the company from a digital perspective and leveraging the data that we have within the organization to deliver value for our clients? Play that out, right? Because you can't have one without the other. And I think we've maybe for too long focused on the digital side. I think you've heard me say, we talk about this, putting digital lipstick on the pig, but you actually have to pretty up the pig underneath. And a lot of that does come down to the data. So I'm I'm curious as you think about Fiserv's data strategy and what it can deliver for clients. How are you thinking about the world of data and where it's going? Yeah, no, I think you're, you're over the right target, right? If you went back, Originally, when browsers arrived, we basically took teller systems and put browsers on them. And then we took mobile systems and, and you know put them in front of browsers as well. But it was very transactional based and it, they weren't particularly intuitive. So you had something you need to accomplish, look up a balance. Where the world is moving to at an accelerating pace is really much more intuitive, proactive experiences. And, and in some ways, it's getting less centered around kind of the core at a bank and more centered around all the things that we're trying to accomplish individually, which means we're trying to move money around. We're trying to you know, pay our mortgages, pay our car loans. We're trying to save for college. We're doing planning. Many of the things in our financial lives aren't about, do I have a particular balance or do I have a particular product? It's about something bigger that I'm trying to accomplish. And that's the real intersection of kind of data and the consumer or SMB uh, experience is being able to be proactive and say, you're not saving enough to be able to make that mortgage payment, or you want to go on vacation and you don't have enough uh, dollars there, or have you thought about refinancing because you could get a lower rate? All of that requires intelligence that is built upon the data that sits in all of these systems that is largely unused today in, in many situations. Well, in you know, ask any banker and they almost always will tell you, you know, nine out of 10 bankers polled that their strategic advantage is their relationship with their customers, but there's Missing the part that relationship isn't about being friendly. Relationship is really understanding. And I think that comes down to the data, right? That it isn't about the products, it's the relationship. 
That's right. It, 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 it does come down to the relationships and insights. Are you helpful? And more and more, and, and you know, there's lots of FIs that understand this and certainly some that, that probably don't, more and more of the consumer experience is happening on a piece of glass, whether it's a, on a laptop or on a little mobile phone. But so much of how the FI manifests its value is happening when it's just machines. They're interacting in a digital experience. And so like, how do you replicate the helpful banker at the branch who says, hey, I've been thinking about it. I've got a great idea. You should think about X, Y, or Z. You now need the, you need the ecosystem to do that and provide that level of insight. Like you, you want to pleasantly surprise someone who says, huh, I hadn't thought about that. That is a great idea. And that might be to do something online. It might be to go down and see the banker and say, hey, I was, I was on your, you know, yourbank.com and it had this great suggestion. Can you tell me more about it? And that just doesn't happen nearly as much in a digital world as it does in a kind of person-to-person world. So that is a cultural mind shift around data, not just an infrastructure mind shift, that technologically there's a lot to be done there. Culturally, there's an awful lot to be done there because we're used to waiting in the branch for someone to come in and ask the question related to this. When you look at how Fiserv can support your clients and customers around not just the infrastructure change, but like changes to processes, changes to people, what are some of the challenges and ways that Fiserv has been able to partner with uh, your FIs? Yeah, I think it's making the data actionable. Like one of the things that many institutions struggle with is I've got all this data. What do I do with it? And there's simple things which which we're we're actively working on is like how do you link up the ATM data with the core data, with the digital data, with the payments data, and maybe some third party, you know, uh, personal financial management management app. And then how do you get it into an environment like we've historically done that with, you know, marketing data warehouses. Um, customer data warehouses where you can work with the data. More and more, we're moving all of that data into a cloud and we're linking it all together and then putting analytics on top of it so that there's a lot less work for our clients to do. They can show up and start to play with the data and work with the data. And then they can merge in the data that they may have uh, inside the franchise that that we don't see or you know, reach out to third parties if they want to uh, go to a third party and get a, a behavioralistic database uh, or a profile. How do you merge that merge that in? But historically, the largest FIs could do that, but the mid-market couldn't do that or they couldn't do it easily. And so we're trying to lower the effort required to go access the data and actually activate the data. Well, in being that integration partner is such a natural role you know, for those players and their need for that, because historically, there aren't a lot of engineers running around, you know, banks. There are not a lot of data scientists running around banks that have that capability to bring that down market. I'm curious on your kind of global view when you think of what the architecture of the future for, you know, these banks, the call it the non-top banks that are kind of custom yeah. building what they're they're doing. What do you think that architecture needs to look like? Well, you know, I think in general you know, everybody continues to move things towards the cloud so they can buy it on demand and they're not setting up lots of unused infrastructure where you have you know, a lot of effort going on in regards to getting our processes and our systems into uh, private clouds and in some instances, public cloud. So I think cloud is one big kind of architectural direction that, um, that we see clients heading in. We're one of the facilitators to make that happen. 
particularly for data environments, we are moving data into the cloud and giving our clients the ability to merge in other data sets and use kind of analytics tools that of their of their choice. So, you know, that's a, a big direction. I think the other big direction that that we all need to think about is just the pivot to real time. The world is continuing to accelerate from a real time perspective. We've done a lot around kind of memo posting and trying to kind of fake real time in a variety of different ways. But whether it's the the payments ecosystem, uh, which continues to move towards real time, and I think we're going to see a big shift here over the next few years, um, or just how clients are, or consumers are working with uh, planning apps. They expect when they go in and there's a fraud, they they expect if there's a fraud on their on one of their accounts or on their debit card to get an instant notification for it. Or if they turn alerts on on a debit card, the expectation today is when I swipe the debit card and I have an alert that says anything, alert me for anything over $100, that I get that instantly. There was a time at which that was like a surprise, like, wow, they notified me instantly. But that is now becoming just kind of the common expectation. So, you know, real-time real time ecosystem, uh, probably cloud-based. And then the last piece I would just say is tooling that allows them to get insights much quicker, analytics that allows them to get to insights much quicker than historically where it required deep kind of expertise in engineering. I want to pull on the payments thread since you brought it up, because we're beginning to see that tip now, you know, just now that, you know, first with Zelle and RTP, you know, coming out, how else do you think payments is going to go through a transformation? What are those implications for the shift from batch to a real-time world? Yeah, I mean, you, I'd say there's a couple of elements. One is there's lots of money via, you know, ACH and wires that moves relatively slowly and pretty expensively and requires settlement. I think a lot of that stuff's going to go uh, real time. The clearinghouse is doing a ton of work around RTP. We're partnering with them uh, to, f- to, to facilitate and support RTP more broadly. People oftentimes don't think about it, but part of what the clearinghouse is doing, they also have RFP request for payment, which also now allows billers to start requesting payments in, which is a very different you know, it's the electronic version of set- sending bills out. And so I think that's going to change the, the world as well. But this whole kind of the complexity around cross borders going to get going to get solved. And so, you know, we see good trend lines around that. Uh, FedNow is right behind the clearinghouse. So that's going to come online uh, as well and allow for real time payments. And then, you know, the FedNow crew is also working on kind of digital dollar where that's going to happen, a central bank, a digital currency. And kind of adjacent to that, Jason, is this whole movement around uh, cryptocurrencies. And I would just separate, you know, we see two big categories that uh, our clients are thinking about uh, cryptocurrencies. One is, you know, crypto as an asset class. So I want to go buy, hold and sell Bitcoin. I'm just going to put that aside for the moment. But this idea of real-time payments, and I, I think that, you know, stable coins have tremendous utility and we're going to see more and more volume on them. You know, we see hundreds of billions of dollars being moved around each quarter on on uh, stable coins today. And I think what they're solving for is this speed of movement and the fact that you can't get certainty because of wires are slow and ACHs are batched. You don't have certainty of the payment uh, until much later. That's what's driving the adoption of stable coins. So I think the entire space is gonna move uh, very quickly over the next few years. Let's keep on that trend for a second, because I think, you know, for definitions, people who don't follow the crypto space, a stable coin is one where the value doesn't fluctuate. It is, you know, tied to a single currency or, or a fixed unit. And I think the cross-border element of that 
it, you know, is a very important one that people sometimes miss. Forex is still a massive problem when you're talking about money exchanging hands. That, that's right. That's right. I was talking to a, a, a fintech today about a solution that they were building and they were leveraging Australian stable coins to move money in and around that marketplace uh, because of the speed of which uh, some of the traditional players are, are operating. And, you know, I, I had a, we had an advisory council meeting a couple of weeks ago and one of the, uh, one of the merchants that we were talking to every other week, he wires money to Mexico on a Thursday for uh, distribution out to his distribution system on Monday and takes all the FX risk. And he's like, I just don't understand why I can't push a button. The money's all there. The dollar comes out and my, uh, my distribution network has it. I think those problems are going to get, are going to get solved. Well, and that ties back to this general movement towards real time and the importance of payments and I think we can pull that thread all the way back to where you started around data, that there's a whole rich ecosystem now attached in the data that move both with stable coins and in the payments network that we haven't really tapped into in the way that we just, you know, really need to for the to future proof. I'm curious what you think about that. Um, I, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, we shouldn't underestimate kind of the movement that's happened so far, you do have, you know, cryptocurrencies have about $2 trillion in, in market cap today. So there's a fair, there's a lot of, there's a lot of money there. And I think if you look at stable coins in Q2 of 2020, there was, I don't know, 30 or $35 billion of stable coins moved around. It was over 700 billion in Q2 of 21. And so when you look at those growth curves, right? Like, like there are parts of the market that are moving. I'd spoken to the CEO of a, uh, a private equity firm a few weeks ago, and he said he's doing 100% of his funding using stable coins, dollar, dollar denominated stable coins. And the reason for that is he says it's quick, it's easy, and I can also earn interest on it because I can stake with it. So I can get 6-7% interest on my, on my cash deposits, right? Like, and, and granted, you know, some of these guys are at the front edge, but you can see kind of where the world is going. It's more of a question of how fast does it happen than are we going to are we going to end up there? And you know there will be. I think eighty two percent of central banks are in the process of working on CBDCs, uh, central bank digital currencies. And so you're going to see the digital version of most uh, most large uh, currencies uh, in the not too distant future. It's all it's all going to happen. Curious because there's an interesting. Um, social dilemma here from a digital haves and have nots. And I would say that it happens at both an institutional level as well as at a business and consumer. So I guess that it would be at three levels, right? But the customer impact mm -hmm. and the have and have nots. Let's start actually with the institution and part of the role that um, Fiserv is able to play because not everyone can go out like Barclays and do their own internal stable coin and what Chase is doing. How do you keep a level playing field for the rest of banking? Yeah, I mean, our our job in many ways is to try to you know give our clients the tools to be successful, and whether that's accounting systems or remote deposit, you know, capture systems or digital systems. So we view as the market advances, and as our uh, the financial institutions that choose to partner with us have different requirements, our job is to make sure they have what they want. Uh, specifically to kind of crypto is I, I think about it in two ways. One is, you know, we are, and, and this has been in the press and we've made some announcements around this. You know, we had several clients, many clients, dozens of clients have come to us and said, you know, hey, I see dollars leaving the bank and going to Kraken or Coinbase. I'd like to offer cryptocurrencies here at the bank. I want to put a sign up that says buy your Bitcoin here. 
And we have uh, you know research that uh, that we've done that says you know eight out of ten Bitcoin holders would prefer to buy them from their bank because they trust their banks. Yep. And so we're in the process of of turning that on. Um, you'll see some banks go live in the fourth quarter of being able to custody cryptocurrencies and through our digital platforms, you know, look at their bank account, say, I want to buy hundred dollars of Bitcoin, buy it, hold it, sell it. And so, you know, we think that's as cryptocurrencies become a larger asset class, you know, we want to facilitate our clients being able to participate in that. And, and you'll see us continue to make announcements around that. We also made an announcement with all data, you know, we're the, I think the only company in the US market right now that can aggregate cryptocurrencies. So you can use all data to get an aggregated view of uh, of your holdings at, you know, any one of, uh, you know, 10,000 banks or uh, credit unions or um, brokerage firms. You can also now show a consumer's holdings at Kraken, Coinbase, you know, the exchanges and whatnot. And so that's another place as assets accumulate, that's becoming more important. The, the, the second place that uh, we're putting a lot of energy into is just from a payments perspective, as consumers accumulate assets in uh, cryptocurrencies, giving them the ability to spend them. And you'll see an announcements from us on a, how do we enable crypto payments you know, at online sites and ultimately uh, at, at POS. And then you know, we're also in the process, and probably not as far along as those other two, we're in the process of looking at disbursements and how do we facilitate you know, disbursements. Um, and, and that's a little bit less of a crypto question Although there's lots of the crypto networks can facilitate it, it's more of a question of how do we allow our clients, merchants, treasury ops to send money to somebody in Germany that wants, wants it in Deutschmarks and do that quickly, efficiently, with certainty. And that may run through a, you know, an FX transaction into a cryptocurrency and then back out of FX into, into Deutschmarks. But that's a use case where our clients are saying, we just want an easier payments ecosystem. Yeah, because now it kind of disappears into the ether for an extended period of time, you know, where you see the money has left your account, but it has not arrived at the other account. It's called custody and settlement, right? Like I, I think this, like I think about blockchain anywhere where there's custody involved that requires settlement. You know, blockchain technologies are hugely valuable because they take so much of the settlement costs and the timing of and the risk out of it. Like if you if you took every piece of real estate in the US and you stuck it into a blockchain, the title insurance industry would disappear overnight. But we have that entire industry because of uncertainty around custody and title. And, you know, like over time, that stuff I think is blockchain, you know, even outside of financial services, blockchain is going to be leveraged to take uh, all the complexity out of things that require movement of, of ownership. You could get me on an entire rant related to the title insurance industry. <laughs> um, love one last question. Uh, as you look to the future, what's your one big prediction around the thing that's going to surprise those in the industry, how quickly it happens? You know, if you had to bet on something that's going to happen a lot faster, either technologically, culturally, what would you say that is? Yeah, maybe maybe I'd say I'd say two. One is I think that people are going to come to trust machines much more quickly than we believe they will. That uh, more and more, and even you know, even the, the you know, we think about you know, is AI driving you know safe or not safe, automated driving safe or not safe in cars? But I I think over the next ten years, because of the pace of uh, improvement around artificial intelligence and machine learning, we are going to 
come to place a lot of faith in the machines that are giving us advice and doing things for us. So that's kind of one one big space. I think the other space is I think that the payments uh, the payments ecosystem is going to change a lot faster than we than we believe. That this pivot to real time payments is going to be profound and it's going to move quite quickly. And when we look back ten years from now, we're going to see some some players were prepared for it and ready for it, and other players had bet that it was going to change a lot more more slowly. I just see in the world of digital, people are getting so accustomed to things happening instantly that um, that they're not going to accept kind of these slow payment processes. And even, you know, we see lots of, whether it's big corporations or FIs looking for outside of traditional, you know, government-sponsored payment systems, they're looking for private ways to move money around. And that's either going to force the governments and the state and federal-sponsored systems to move quicker, or money movement's just going to move to these other things like uh, stable coins that are non-government-sponsored. But those two trends, I think, are going to be really profound. Thank you for joining us. Look for future episodes of Forward at Fiserv.com slash forward and soon on major podcasting platforms.